Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I am here in the Condé Nast Podcast Studios with Mark Elwood, who's a contributing editor and a podcast producer, Sebastian Modak, who's an editor and also a podcast producer, and Andrea Whittle, who is an editor for Traveler. My name's Brad Rickman, and I will be your host for the course of this, what is sure to be a little bit of a bumpy podcast today. So we're going to give you <laughs> trigger warnings <laughs> in which we inform you that there are going to be disgusting matters discussed uh, here in the podcast today. So be warned, strap yourselves in. It's going to get turbulent. We're going to talk about getting sick while you're traveling. Let's face it, it's going to happen. It's probably happened to most of us here, if not all of us here. I'm going to guess all of us here. But even for people who only are traveling two, three, four times a year, it can happen just like it can happen at home. So and it's also, I have to say, there is nothing more vulnerable, nothing more miserable than being away from home, not in your own bed, feeling sick. There is something viscerally difficult yeah. about and it. Because it. it also just sucks because you've spent this money on this trip and then you spend it all in a hotel bed, you know. But there's, you know, we'll get into it. There's things you can do to try to limit it or be prepared if it does happen. Mm -hmm. I also feel like one of the other vulnerabilities is you're probably in a place where you don't necessarily know the intimate lay of the land. Things like pharmacies are probably not on your to-do yeah. list, yeah. right? Totally. The language is different. Protocols can be different. Laws can be different. So that kind of thing gives me anxiety as much as the, like, where's so my we, soup? I was going to say, we're, we're going to talk about some kind of crazy stories, but don't worry. We will offer you some <laughs> yes. advice in this. So by the end of this, you will feel reassured if you get, <laughs> get sick yes. when you travel rather than freaked out about totally. all the things that could go the wrong. The whole idea is to arm you to prepare you to deal with this stuff and to not let it completely destroy your trip. That's the idea. The listener's just going to have to get through a few mentions yeah. of uh, words that stories. end with Rhea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's more than one, believe <laughs> it or not, will be mentioned. All the Rhea's <laughs> we will get into. Okay, there are different forms of this. So there are things that everybody is kind of familiar with, such as food poisoning, which can happen, malaria, dengue, you know, catching diseases that might not be prevalent at home, but that are prevalent in the part of the world that you're traveling to. Zika has been in the news a lot lately. Um, we've reported on that a lot, a big concern and something that we've been monitoring like a lot of our, our readers. We just had a story, was it this week? That uh, Cassie did a couple for weeks ago. A couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. So you can read all about this on our website. We have a story that's called Why Tourists Wind Up in the ER, where basically uh, Cassie Shortsleeve, who writes for us, talked to a bunch of emergency room doctors in places around the world to see what the most common ailment was that tourists showed up with. And there were very clear trends. Um, so you can kind of use it as a way to be aware of what might happen to you and how to be prepared. So for example, in a lot of beach destinations in the tropics, ER doctors get a lot of people coming in with stings. So jellyfish stings, rockfish stings, things that'll happen to you when you're snorkeling or scuba diving. And a lot of the times there are, you know, you should read up on it. There are home treatments for this. Vinegar works really well. You can um, pee on you it. You can pee <laughs> on it. Does that work? I yeah. couldn't tell you. I feel like I've heard it enough times that I just feel like it does. You it's give an it a go. It's, yeah, a, it's, a, it it's worth a shot, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know? <laughs> Save you a trip to the ER. <laughs> um, you, know, you know what the shorthand is? I remember someone said to me about bees and wasps. You have to think VW, like Volkswagen, because it's vinegar for wasps and bicarb for bees. Because wasp stings are alkaline and bee stings are acidic. So to mm. neutralize them, so you need vinegar for wasps to neutralize the alkaline 
and bicarb for bees to neutralize this. And and according to the ER doctors, it's also vinegar for a lot of the jellyfish things that happen. You know, in Hawaii, for example, a lot of the lifeguards have spray bottles filled with vinegar for huh. when this happens, so they, they can treat it right on the scene. Most of the time, unless you're dealing with some like giant Portuguese man of war or something, these aren't life-threatening injuries. They just really hurt. Then, of course, there's across Asia, with the doctors she spoke to and the kind of infectious disease specialists that she spoke to, she found a trend of people coming in with kind of flus that they had never experienced before. And in fact, Asia is a place that a lot of specialists look at to see what the next big flu is going to be worldwide. It's where SARS started, you know, it's where I believe avian flu started yeah. too. Mm-hmm. So it's like where a lot of these pandemics emerge. Emerging, emerging, yeah. yeah. It's an incubator, um, yeah, okay. And then, you know, there's obviously the mosquito-borne illnesses. And this is, it's worth noting on both of these counts that because these diseases might be prevalent or might have been present in these locations for a period of time, there may not be symptoms. People can be carriers of them. People who are locals can be carriers or have built up immunities or have had them and then built up the immunities that come from having them. And so you yourself are not really conscious of it, but as a person who is not part of that, culture, you're more vulnerable. And you also realize that you're going to be, you know, a very almost dangerous vector for it, too. Because, for example, when SARS was happening, at least when it was happening in, like, Singapore, Singapore knows how to deal with shit like this. Like, it was very contained. Everyone had masks and gloves on or whatever. I was actually in the hospital in Singapore. We'll get to that later. (laughs) During the SARS outbreak, the hospital was just abandoned. No one was coming in for anything because they didn't want to get into contact with it. But then all it takes is one person pick it up and fly back to the US and then suddenly it becomes a global which is one thing that I think is worth remembering there was there was a British nurse who was fined heavily for fibbing about her temperature when she came back from volunteering during the Ebola outbreak because it turned out that the elevated temperature Paula McCaffrey had was a sign of her having Ebola and she just wanted to get home, which I think you understand the instinct, but within a very infectious disease, it turned out that she didn't pass it along. But she was, I think she was struck off, and some of the listeners can tell me, I think she was reprimanded to such a degree she's not allowed to practice as a nurse because you can't just hop on a plane and think it'll be okay. Yeah. You've got to be responsible if that does It's happen. also why, you know, talking of Ebola, why it was more likely for us to get it in New York for example, than it was for someone in South Africa to get it. Because the travel between West Africa and North America is a lot more frequent than West Africa and Southern Africa. So then moving on, you know, there's obviously mosquito-borne illnesses that are common in places in certain latitudes in the tropics. Zika has been in the headlines for the past year. And really the advice there right now, pending any miracle cure or vaccine, is if you're pregnant or planning to be pregnant or if you're in a relationship where one of the people in that relationship is planning to get pregnant, maybe not a good idea to go to some of these places quite yet. I feel Um, like it's sort of fallen out of the headlines, though, recently. Is that just because nothing's changed? Well, winter happened, which was part of it, I think. And I think we'll see it pick back up in a big way as a lot of these locations heat up again and mosquitoes Mm -hmm. come out of wherever they go during the winter. (laughs) (laughs) Scientist over here. Um, I think death is where they go. (laughs) Uh, So I think we'll see it pick up again. And then, of course, there's malaria, which is prevalent in a lot of places, along with dengue fever. Malaria can be prevented by taking certain prophylaxis pills, some of which, you know, talk to your doctor. They have different side effects. I took one that gave me the craziest dreams I've ever had in my life, (laughs) some for better or for worse. And one of them, I single-handedly stopped 
the countries of India and Pakistan from going to war. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love that you're crazy. In your dreams. dreams. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So I was like, oh, I'll pop another one. Was ready that for the tonight. weekly one or the daily one? <laughs> that was the weekly one. The daily one, Malarone, has a lot less side effects. It's also way more expensive. Ah. So. And know. also remember with malaria, for example, you can prevent malaria. My friends who work in, in malarial zones full time can't take malaria pills because they're quite tough they're on, not your good on your liver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they just use really industrial repellent on their skin. And if you are diligent with that, that is another way to. And I always I always think that um, a lot of repellents, if you don't want to take up space in your carry on bag because and you also need a big tube, you can get uh, repellents off or any of those brands in wipes, a bit like baby wipes. Mm-hmm. And those don't count towards your liquid constraints, and you can pack as many of those as you want. Are there repellents that you trust more than others, Mark? Oh, I just go 100% DEET, but the, which is literally <laughs> the industrial <laughs> one. But the thing that no it's one tells poison. you about DEET is I have a lot of plastic footwear, uh, which is practical because you can go from sort of pool to beach to sidewalk very easily. When you say plastic footwear, do you mean like a croc? What are we talking here? I mean, I'm slightly mortified that you'd say that. We don't have visuals on this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Crocs. Exactly. And also, I'm slightly offended. What kind of plastic footwear? Please, please Google me and please tell me, please, some of the listeners Does tell me. Look like you, a do I look like a croc? Do I look like a croc? Don't answer that. No, no, but um, no, I have Swims footwear, actually. They're a European brand that are a very practical way of. Mm-hmm. And chic, I'm sure. Obviously. Thank you, Sebastian. Not crockly. I like you. (laughs) The one thing that's worth knowing about insect repellents, actually, is that they do melt plastic. Mm. So you have to be very careful. If you swathe your ankles in DEET, which, of course, is the crucial part for mosquitoes, let it dry before you put your plastic footwear on, or it will sort of melt onto your feet. Not to deep dive on the mosquitoes, but this is one of the more common vectors for this. Do you guys find amongst your circles that some people just seem to be more prone to getting bit than others? Yes. Have you found this? My family's split down the middle. My mother and I never get bothered, and my father and my sister are, like, eaten alive within five seconds at dusk. Is this like what, a pheromone a, thing? I think it's or a blood type they, thing? No, so the thing is, they've looked, and I have a friend who's an infectious diseases doctor, and I asked her, what is the latest theory about why we get bitten? Because like you, Andrea, my mother and I get eaten alive, and my father could walk into a room of, of mosquitoes, and they'd be like, yo, hey, how's it going? <laughs> and just hang out with him. And I said to this infectious diseases doctor, why does this happen? And she said, we definitively do not know. Hmm. Nothing has been proven. She said it is likely to do with the kind of foot odor you have. Because they operate right near the ground, it is probably to do with, not whether you have foot odor. This is not like you have stinky feet. (laughs) Andrea, it's not like you and your mom have (laughs) amazing feet and your poor sister is like, thanks very much. It's to do with the kind of, sense you give off at ground level Mm. attracts them. But again, that's a theory. They can't prove it. Hmm. Okay, what else you got, Seth? So other other common things are places like ski resorts in Colorado, places where a lot of people are seeking heights and they're not necessarily used to heights, will come into the ER being like, I'm incredibly nauseous and I have a headache and I can't see straight. And they're like, well, you have altitude sickness. Something that is also preventable or, you know, at least... You can adapt in a way. Can you prevent it? Well, you can in some ways. Like, for example, you can kind of work your way up. You can acclimatize, right? Yeah, so you can, like, hang out somewhere that's high but not that high before going up to the top of a mountain. Drink more water than you're used to drinking. Don't go on a bender with booze while you're at a high altitude because it's going to hit you a lot harder than it would. 
um, things like that. And you see that people who live in these environments adapt completely over time. So that's one thing. And then finally, there are, of course, the foodborne illnesses, Delhi belly and the like. Um, <laughs> Poor Delhi. Which, as an so. Indian, I still get every Delhi time I go Delhi. to India. And it's just something I accept and learn to love. And I just know that for the first two days I'm in India, I'm not going to feel too great. See, but I learned learn to it's love? Not, that is bold. And I, and also, well, it's like I learned to, le- learn to accept, <laughs> I guess. See, I don't think it's the first two days. Andrea has a theory about this that I think is very canny. Explain your theory, Andrea. Okay. So... This is a specifically India-related theory, but it's also happened to me in Mexico, which is I spent a month in India, no problems, not one illness throughout, was like very good, very diligent, and in my last couple of days... You went to a five-star restaurant, or a really nice restaurant. I just, I got cocky, and that's why I got in trouble. It was like, I did everything right, I didn't brush my teeth with the tap water, like, you know, had my charcoal pills... I did, like washed everything before I ate it. I peeled all the fruit. And it was like the last couple of days in Delhi, right before I went back to New York. And I walked past this guy selling mangoes on the street. And I was just like, I, I really want one. They look so beautiful. And I can't confirm that this is what gave me my amoeba, which is what it was. Oh, that's the specific that's kind very of bad. parasite yeah, very bad. that I had to be on antibiotics for a month to get rid of. For but a month? And did it work? It Yes, thank okay, God. <laughs> but... Because it doesn't always, right? It doesn't I mean, always. This yeah. is, I'm like, that's, but it that's was intense. Like, last couple of days, went, ate my street mango, very much enjoyed it, and it probably, like, you know, slipped up a few more times, opened my mouth in the shower. It's always, like, it's a little thing. He was singing, But I find, yeah. my, my theory is, like, pretty much the opposite. It's I found that I get sick, I'll be fine. I'll be fine getting chaat masala on the street in Delhi, whatever. Then I'll go to, like, one nice restaurant at a, nice hotel and I'll eat the salad that comes with the meal and I'll be ill. They did this with filtered water. I'm yeah. fine, like, right? I, You think that they, but that's the place where yeah. I... Yeah, that's what happened to me in Mexico. I, I drank the ice water in Tulum at it Posada is... Margarita. <laughs> Not the way. Anyone, out. Please, anyone call listening? Them out. Please tell us, do you use filtered water? <laughs> I remember being told that one of the things in India that the challenge wasn't necessarily the food, it was that often the oil that street food is cooked in has been sitting around for so long that the oil is the problem. Hmm. And that gave me great pause. Like so the hot dog water in New York. Yeah, but it's literally, I mean, it's not It's mm-hmm. not the fresh fruit or the way it's washed. It's that the oil has been used for weeks. I mean, obviously hot oil, things will die, but it's got sort of things around it because it's just been sitting around. Mm-hmm. So that made me think, ah, I'm not a big street food person anywhere. Not even a food truck. I'm like, I want to sit down. I want a waiter. <laughs> so that's not the problem. I'm more like you, Seb, where I go to a, like a fancy restaurant. I'm like... I, I, I've been craving greenery. Yeah. Let me have greenery. And then you, oh. But, that's but, where it gets you. But yeah, but I, think I do it's, think. It's less about like the oil or, or any specific. It's not even necessarily about cleanliness. It could be cleaned thoroughly. It's just that we're not used to the same microorganisms that are in the water. So like people that live there are totally used to them in the same way that we're used to whatever microorganisms are in the New York water. But do you think, you see, I'd be curious, I'm curious if there are any doctors listening. Like, I assume <laughs> you're right. I happened to me, this, me that. Yeah, no, this happened to me in Cuba. We went to Vinales and we went with a guide walking around the park, the national park there. And during the walk, he was talking about that. He was saying, oh, yeah, we can eat all these things mm-hmm. there th- because there were like fruit sitting around and stuff like that. And he was like, oh, I can eat that, but you can't eat that right. because you'll mm-hmm. get sick if you eat that. And then sure enough, at the end of it, we went to like a finca that was up on top of a hill. It was a very nice place. And the food was really, really good. But again, there was salad. And I'm sure the salad was washed. It wasn't that the salad wasn't washed. It was that the water that the salad was washed in was just regular water, like probably out of the tap. 
instead of filtered water because who's washing fucking salad with like you know Bottled filtered water, water. Like, <laughs> I mean I do it at home I mean obviously like you I don't know that that's what did it but that's where it was like on the on the no, no, very it's, it's, it's logic, later but I, that night I am curious like, if in the modern world there's such a difference between our sort of stomach cast ironness. My stomach is very I, fragile, so you I, know. I think there is something. I mean, it's pure. Again, none of us are doctors, mm. and we're gonna get some <laughs> like angry micro. tweets being like, yeah, "You guys have no gonna... fucking." Yeah, idea no, what but you're this is a huge but, thing but, lately. But, the the microflora. Tell, tell us, totally. I mean, like, I I lived in India for five and a half years as well, and it's not like I was getting diarrhea every four days. Right. So like. There was a time then when I, you know, especially as a kid, where I got clearly got acclimatized to that. But it's now that I've been sheltered in our little New York bubble that I go <laughs> back, and that's when it hits me because it's been too long. I'm not, I'm not like. Do you feel particularly those... indignant when you're like, "This is yeah, this, this is me. This is, this is my blood. What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> because it's not genetic. That's the whole yeah. point. It's all yeah, about yeah, your yeah, it's what's going on in your body. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's all the bacteria. So, tip number gut. one. I don't know. Teach your mycoflora. Do well, don't eat anything raw. But yeah. that is it. Everything that you eat in a country in which you may not be, you know, acclimatized. Acclimatized. You should eat everything you should eat should be cooked. Right. And all the fruit should be peeled. Anthony Bourdain famously has a philosophy about this, which is like, I'm just going to risk it. If I have to throw up for a couple of days, it's fine. It's worth it. I'm going to eat the street food. Have you guys ever practiced that? Or do yes. you have? Do you know people who do that? I, that's, I do it. That's your thing. Yeah. I mean, if it looks like... If You're it's like, insane. If it's, if it's super... You're ag- insane. He's got a TV crew. I have a friend who works on that show. There's a whole load of people ministering to his every need like, when I, he gets I also want to live, you know? Like, it's, it's, if it's like egregious, you know, if I'm looking at a place and I'm like, no, thank you, but... Some of the best meals of my life have taken place on like street stalls in Vietnam or India or wherever else. But it's not about the street stall itself. I will eat a cooked chicken skewer at a street stall any day. I will not eat a raw vegetable. But I'm not looking for raw vegetables at a street stall day. anyway. There you, know? you go. I'm not like, hey, can I get a carrot? <laughs> <laughs> can I get the crudite? Yeah, I'm please? looking for like a bowl of pho. Yeah. <laughs> And we apologize to vegans, who I'm sure are just like, that's what I have to Raw vegans, yes. Raw ve- in yes. particular. Raw vegans, yes. So all of us have probably been through this. We're starting to touch on it. Let's go ahead. Get the stories out there. Just let's hear about it. You kind of talked about India. Mm-hmm. What happened in Mexico? Oh, my God. Terrible, terrible things happened in Mexico. <laughs> Unspeakable things. <laughs> Unspeakable things. I was in Tulum. This was like four years ago when Tulum was still like very hot. You know, it's still great, but at the time it was like very exciting. I just graduated from college. It was February. I was with my mom and my sister. We were biking around and eating tacos and swimming and having a ball. And it was like the last night, went to this great Italian restaurant, had a delicious meal. Again, I got a little loose, drank the ice water. Mm -hmm. And I think, so we all got sick, but at different times. So my mother got sick that night, but like mildly. I was fine until the drive to the airport. Oh, oh that's bad. That's the worst. Oh, yeah. you Which poor is, thing. you know, the drive is maybe an hour from Tulum to the Cancun airport on a freeway yeah. in a lovely van provided to us by the hotel that I had to ask the driver to pull over. Oh, God. And could not even make it to the point that he stopped. Oh. oh. Like, uh. literally pulled the door open, car still moving on the way to the highway. Didn't stop there, like through the airport, through security. I threw up on my feet on the tarmac. Uh, oh. <laughs> At that was, point, you just want to be dead. I literally wanted to be dead. I took my shoes off, threw them away, 
<laughs> in the like good choice. wow <laughs> took my shoes off threw them away in the bathroom uh. and changed into the only other like clothes to shoes i had i was going back to new york in february and i'm like very style conscious to a fault I had my running shoes and nothing else, and I was wearing jeans and running shoes, and like could not have been more horrified. <laughs> so you were horrified. You looked like a person. Yes. That was worse than the throwing up. Way it was worse than the throwing up. I was so strapped, sick. Strapped on your fanny pack. I, I feel like there's like a straw poll here from the listeners. Tell us what was the worst crime. <laughs> yeah. What, what? What? Wearing running shoes with jeans or puking on my feet <laughs> on like, the tarmac. It's a tough call. Yeah. It's a tough no, call. but I was on a plane. I was on a plane once, sitting behind a man who was clearly very ill. And didn't make it to the bathroom and threw up on himself. Mm. And it was a long haul flight, and the crew provided him with some sort of emergency clothes. I mean, everyone was very nice because poor man, but that smell of vomit yeah. is so pervasive, yeah. it is visceral. And the whole plane for half an hour, everyone was sort of holding yeah. their mouth because it's so. So thank you for throwing your shoes away because if you'd <laughs> taken them on the plane, everyone would have paid it. So, wait, what, what did you. I mean, a lot of the times they won't let you on the plane because they, they say you won't be fit to fly. Somehow did I? Somehow. So you, you were I, able like, to get out of Mexico. I was able to get out of Mexico. I made it back to New York. I sort of stabilized after takeoff. Like I think everything was there's nothing was, in your there was body. nothing left. <laughs> yes. So like <laughs> that was it, and I made it back to New York. And then as soon as we arrived that night, my sister then got sick. So it was like a chain reaction of illness. Is the trip completely framed by how sick you ended up? Or can you look on the trip fondly? I look on the trip fondly. But I will never forget the moment on the tarmac. At least you didn't miss a key part of the trip. One of the nice things about mm -hmm. getting it on the ride to the airport for all the terrible things mm -hmm. is that your trip was essentially over yeah. at that point. It's true. And like flying sucks anyway, so yeah, <laughs> it's not that much worse. Yeah. Once... Um, in Mexico and then and once again in Cuba, I got sick kind of like in the latter third of the trip and I missed important things that were happening. And that was, it was one of those things where you're sort of debating similar to the style question of do I throw up, on, do I keep the throw up shoes or do I wear my horrible fashion shoes? You know, you go through this like, do I want to go to the beach and do the snorkeling thing or do I want to go on the cave, you know, hike or whatever? Or... Do I just feel so awful? All I really want to do, which is which is the truth. That's what you really want to do. Is just like lying. You bed feel and so. Not you get out. It feels so unfair. Yeah, there is, it does. it's like when you. It's like when you used to get sick at school in the vacations, and you're like, <laughs> no, I want to. I want to be missing school. Yeah. Not not sick in, sick in the vacation. And there is something very fundamentally. You you just kind of rail against it. Yeah. So yeah, I would rather be. I feel like we're touching. I want to touch wood and say I'd rather be sick on a plane than. <laughs> <while I'm there. laughs> I don't want to get sick at all, but. The confined space of the plane terrorizes me, but other than that, yeah, yeah. Like, to get to get sick when you're kind of done with the trip seems like. But I feel like at least the illness that you can sort of like run to the bathroom and deal with, rather than like, I'd rather that than have someone like coughing all over me. Yeah, like yeah. that I cannot stand. Or throwing up, all over even you. worse. Yeah, yeah. or I mean, next to yeah. you or whatever. The key, apparently, I remember reading that the commonest way we get sick is we rub our eyes. And our eyes are the only orifices that don't have some protective membrane against infection. So if you're on a plane, and I think we also rub our eyes on a plane because we're tired. And, and it's dry. And mm -hmm. it's dry. Try to avoid rubbing your eyes because your eyes, 
whatever's on your hands, if it touches your eyes, it goes much more easily into your body. So if in doubt, use the towel, the hot towel you're given to rub your eyes or something else, mm -hmm. and that will make a difference. I do think the warning against the ice is a good one, though, in these parts. It's, it's easy to overlook that. You it's, forget. You, you yeah. forget. You yeah. The drink comes with ice. You order a cocktail or you order a soda or whatever, and it comes with ice, even water. In Vietnam, just, the beer comes with ice. Yeah, you don't think about <laughs> it. You don't think about it, yeah. And that's, you want that's it cold. a sneaky one. So remember the ice. Yeah. That's tip number one. Mm -hmm. Seb, what's your story? I, can I go? Because Seb's story <gasps> is so good. I want to go. <laughs> like, Seb's story is basically the category killing, let me tell you. And mine is, is more inconsequential and didn't happen to me. So Yours um, is like a whole I, other angle. I don't think yours too. is that inconsequential, but well, let's it's, hear it's, it. It's, it's more let's, emotionally yes, upsetting. <laughs> as any of the long-term listeners to Travelog will know, I started my career in travel as a tour guide. I worked mostly in Italy, taking Americans around Italy. And I had a colleague who had a group in parallel with mine who had a, a lady have some sort of problems down there on one of the trips. And, you know, you obviously want to help people go to the doctor and you think, oh, I'm so sorry you feel so bad. And she said, no, it's more than just like period pain, like something's really wrong. And you think, OK. So she and her husband go with my tour guiding colleague to the doctor and the doctor inspects her and is very like, oh. And said to the tour guide, oh, it's totally fine. It's very treatable. But you should ask her how long she has had the gonorrhea for. Ouch. And Ouch. not only... It's like something out of Dumb and Dumber. It amazing. was... So my friend said, that, you know, the complicated part was, you know, her gonorrhea was treatable, was salvageable, but her marriage, not so much, because she <laughs> turned to her husband and said, so how long have I had the oh. gonorrhea for? So it was more a sort of record scratch moment wow. than a, a medical moment. Yeah. Uh, but yes, that's the... Probably, probably felt pretty medical to her right about <laughs> there. <laughs> yes, but, you know... And also legal. In, the, yeah. in the, that good way, as the doctor said, an incredibly treatable case of gonorrhea. Again, I don't know if she's still married to the husband she went on the trip with. That's treatable oh too, God. though. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Get a good anyway. divorce attorney. <laughs> so, <laughs> Seb, tell us about Yikes. your much more extreme, less, yeah, less, less comical. Less comical. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I have two examples of like the worst of the worst happening, and there are takeaways from each of them. The more recent one is I was 20 years old, I was in college, and I was traveling in sub Saharan Africa. And I was in Malawi, and I was traveling through Lake Malawi, which is still, despite what you're about to hear, one of my favorite places in the world. <laughs> I felt like I had died and gone to heaven. It was just, you know. Well, you almost died. <laughs> half of that almost happened. Um, crystal clear waters, just like beautiful weather. I was just swimming all day. Ripe mangoes hanging directly over the lake that you could just pick and peel yourself and eat in the lake. It was just fucking paradise. Um, Great trip, had a great time, you know, 20 year old living off of like $4 a day in Malawi, it was wonderful. Came back to college, everything was fine. Six months later, I start feeling a little weird. Oh, right God. in the middle of final exams, my junior year of college. And uh, I start like just being literally unable to wake up in the morning. I was sleeping like 17 hours a day. Wow. I was waking up and I just had these insane fevers that were just unexplainable, then they'd go away and then they'd come back. I was just like weak, I couldn't eat. So I went to the hospital. <laughs> and uh, well actually no, first I went to Student Health, which is you know the Student Health Service. <laughs> Completely and they said, useless. They said, we can pencil you in uh, about a month and a half from now. And I told the lady at the You've got reception, mono. I was like- <laughs> It's mono. I told the lady at reception, I was like, I think I might be dying. <laughs> She's like, well, go next door to the hospital. <laughs> so I went to the university hospital. 
where they basically just had no idea what was wrong with me because like I had been, you know, living in Philadelphia for six months. Where is this coming from? So they just start testing me for like everything under the sun for, you know, an HIV test, tuberculosis tests, every parasite you can name, just trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Um, at one point, actually, after I had like developed a rapport with this infectious disease doctor, she tells me That's something you never exactly. want to be able <laughs> no, to say. Like not a phrases I hope don't we, ever we come out of my mouth. Hello, I love how my are you? My infectious disease doctor. <laughs> it turned out she like we went to the same high school. You know, there was a lot. Of, we had a lot in common. You shouldn't know this much about your. Yeah, dog. she was like talking to my parents on the phone, like reminiscing about life in Indonesia, and all. It was it was, it was a whole experience. This was also like, all over the course of like three weeks, and I don't remember. Like it's all such a blur because my brain was, you know, I was, it was elsewhere. At one point, the doctor turns to me and says, you know, I know you're not feeling great. I know you're going to be okay. But I have to tell you that this is, like, really exciting for us because we have no fucking idea what you have. <laughs> Again, just that's not what not you what want you to hear. hear. Anyway. But you so are here now, so this does have a happy ending. Would you be willing yeah. to come and talk to our class? <laughs> <laughs> so finally they narrow it down, and it turns out I have schistosomiasis also known as bilharzia, which is a parasite that enters through your pores. It, uh. it lives in fresh water, like mm. Lake Malawi. Mm. Um, and once it matures enough, like it goes in, lays its eggs, starts breeding, whatever else. Uh, once it matures so enough, it'll start eating your organs. Nice. So you die, you eventually die from internal bleeding if you're not treated. I was in the very early stages. They basically just started maturing and my body was essentially saying, what the hell is this? You know. After that, when they figured out what it was, I took one like horse pill, felt the worst I've ever felt in my life for like two days, woke up the next morning, I was fine. It's like, a, it's no like last, an H bomb of yeah, what, and no lasting like the not that I know of. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no lasting effects that I know of. He, he um, no longer has a gallbladder. <laughs> exactly. but, but the thing is, afterwards, you know, talking to people, they're like, "You went to Lake Malawi? Like, of course this happened. It's known to have that." I was 20 years old. I had been living in Botswana before that, so it's not like I saw a doctor before traveling to Malawi. This was just like a trip we took from Botswana. But I'm also surprised local people didn't sort of say to you... Well, oh. they did. So I, I had heard it like on the grapevine, and this actually happened where, you know, some Australian hostel owner on the lake was like, I basically just take that pill once every couple of months, just, just as just preventative. Just in case. And I was like, that just sounds kind of sketch. Um, and the friend I was traveling with, his dad worked for the CDC, and so he called his dad before we left, being like, hey, so they sell this pill for like $2 over the counter in pharmacies in Malawi. And these people are saying that we should just take it, you know, just as a precaution. He was like, absolutely not. You don't know if it's counterfeit drugs, whatever else. Mm -hmm. Like, it could have bad side effects. But looking back, we probably should have done it. <laughs> or at the very least, we should have come back and seen and an infectious it. disease doctor right away, been tested and taken it preventatively. Can, is it detectable? Um, Before I'm, you're symptomatic? I'm unsure whether it's detectable, but I do know that a lot of travelers will do that. People who are frequenting that region or swimming for pr their profession will come back to the U.S., take the pill, the feel the, the shitty fever is. side effects for like a day. And we didn't do any of that. So like the, the number one lesson from that is like see your doctor before you're traveling because any doctor would have told me, you know, you're no, you at very high risk of I probably would have gone swimming in that lake anyway. It was fucking heaven. It was amazing. 
Um, but I, I would have known how to follow up. May I caution something? Because this happened to me. I've lived in America for most of my adult life, but I didn't grow up here. And um, when I called my New York City doctor, so again, remember, I, we're lucky enough to live in a city which does have a lot of air connections so they're, they're, and lo lots of diversity and kind of nationality. So people are going different places. And, and I called the reception. I said, hey, I need some vaccinations because I was going to Africa for the first time. She said, why, why do you need vaccinations? You're an adult. We don't do vaccinations for an adult. What? A, I mean, you must have had, you know, measles vaccination. What Wait, are you this is your about? primary care doctor? My PCP, my PCP's receptionist said, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean vaccinations? You're not a kid. Oh so God. I made an appointment to see my PCP who had lived and worked in Africa for many years. And I said to him, hey, you know, it's weird. I tried to get my, my jabs. I mean, I can do them back in London because there's many travel clinics just on the street. Uh, do you, and he said, oh, you know, no, we do do them. They always forget. It's not a regular request. So because in America there is less, because of where we are, there is less travel to many places like Africa, whereas London has a big cultural connection and much more. Mm -hmm. Do remember that if you go to your PCP and you ask for checkups or vaccinations or any of these kind of things, and they're a little hesitant, I would encourage you to push mm -hmm. because also, you're not or wrong. Or find an infectious disease yeah, doctor. Exactly. I have an amazing or a travel one. Specialist, yeah. You can name check them. I can. His name is Kevin Cahill. He has an office on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> He's been literally everywhere in the world. And I go to him before I go anywhere. And he gives, I always, he, like, I go, I get whatever vaccines I need. Mm -hmm. I got yellow fever when I went to Rwanda last time. And he will, like, give me, he has a little booklet that he prints with, like, advice for the traveler. And he tells amazing stories. And I always travel with, like, you know, a wide-spectrum antibiotic, an antidiuretic, you know, a couple of other things. He gives you, like, sort of the toolkit for like if you're traveling somewhere with limited medical care here's what you should always have he's amazing i'm just saying I, I think that's important say, yeah and there's something to say about vaccines too and that not only is it important for your health because some things exist in parts of the world that don't exist where you live but like for example in the case of the yellow fever vaccine they give you a certificate and they won't let you into the country if Without you don't have it, it. yeah so it's if really you're, you're traveling around, somewhere man. and your pcp says oh you don't need vaccines you, you might. You might. Do. Just I mean, might. That's what the CDC and we, you know we have great stories on that. I will also say about rehydration. It's interesting. Another my other big sort of takeaway from moving here. If you go to a, a pharmacy in Britain and you ask for rehydration sachets, those are very mainstream. Any pharmacist will know. And I went into many of my pharmacies here in New York and asked for those the first time and got a real blank stare. So I went to an outdoors store and got Nunu tablets, mm -hmm. which are also rehydration tablets. So I would encourage you if you want to get something that will offset some of the deli belly, the new new tablets that you can buy at any outdoors store are exactly what you need. They're salts and sugars, and mm -hmm. you can keep those with you. And I always travel with them and a little bit of charcoal, mm -hmm. and it's my Pedialyte too. I think. But can you get can you get powder you can get Pedialyte? Little sachets. I've never seen sachets. I've only ever brought seen them it. to India. Worked great. Thank and, you. Andrew. And another <laughs> thing that I think this segues into is that all these things we're talking about, you know, preventative medicine, vaccines, emergency care when you're abroad can add up, and uh, in the context of things right now, health insurance, put hashtag health insurance on this thing, <laughs> blow up, um, it's important. And a lot of the times you might think you're covered and you're not, so before traveling, like make sure to check your policy or your employer's policy to see if it covers you when you're abroad, and if it doesn't, look into supplemental care, because it exists, you know, there's places like Alliance, insurance that'll you know give you a package just for the case of an emergency there's also places like international sos which literally saved my life which is story number two when i was 15 years old 
living in Indonesia and I was crossing a road and got hit by a motorcycle. Uh, Which is also terrible. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. And again, these kinds of things can happen. happen. The same things that can happen to you at home can happen to you. They didn't, you know, no one expected this to happen to me. And uh, yeah, broke my neck in two places, fractured my skull. Wow. Was just out. And I don't think things have changed. They might have, but at least back then, Indonesia was not known for its healthcare system. But, you know, I was living there. I had my parents there. Their insurance covered me with something called International SOS, which was little more than an evacuation center. You know, they have emergency care respondents and doctors there, but it's not a fully-fledged hospital. But it's where they, first of all, they don't even call an ambulance because the ambulance would be stuck in traffic with the rest of Jakarta. Um, So I was lucky that my brother and my father were across the street when it happened. They saw it happen, put me in a car, and drove me to International SOS. And an, an hour later, I was on a plane to Singapore where I was in the hospital for two weeks because mm-hmm. SOS basically just saw me, made sure I was stable. And Did they put the neck shunt thing in? Because that's what I think of when like you were in the car. It's like... Ugh. I know, it's bad that they... But it's... Sometimes I, I get it. You're you in a place like Jakarta on a busy a street. You got to just we pick don't, them up. We don't have any visuals them. on this, but Seb is fully mobile. Fully mobile. And, you know, there is a happy ending to yeah. this. And it's. I think that's also, you know, something like international. I have a policy from Travel Guard, which is two forty nine a year. And I just, it, it is my travel backup. If I go back to Britain, I'm no longer entitled to use the British socialized care because I don't pay into it. Therefore, I need coverage there. I mean, I yeah. need coverage. And I would encourage you, if you take more than two or three trips a year, even domestically, because some of dealing with some of the international intrastate stuff is a real pain in the neck, just have one of those insurance policies because I know it seems like a lot it's of money. It's hugely important. I remember but it just taking a friend to a private hospital in Botswana because she had a kidney infection and her policy didn't cover her at the time. And it was a private hospital. So we were literally just each of us taking out our maximum credit card cash out of oh, an ATM yeah, yeah. to be able to hand over cash. You don't want to be in that situation when you're abroad. And like $249 a year. Mark, you're, you know, you're a big advocate of travel insurance. I've started buying it. You have the travel professionals policy, sort of. I mean, 250 is not bad if you not do. Not so much. I, I mean, I, I agree actually, with you. I agree with you. You know, I, I, I yeah. actually have the middling policy. I have the policy because my my also my own household insurance covers some possessions. You know, it's all it all intersects. But I exactly I don't actually have the travel professionals. I have someone who travels enough, but for two fifty, you can always have peace of mind. Um, I've been tweeted about this. I just want to say, travel guard insurance. It's two forty nine a year. If you amortize that over say three trips, it's like eighty bucks extra. Yeah. Which, if you really? buy it on an individual basis, it's going to be more than that for yeah. most of them. Just buy it. Yeah, yeah. If you are a traveler, if you yeah. if you do go, and if you're, let's say, you're not a frequent traveler, but you're planning that one big family trip, mm-hmm. buy it for the sake of your family and for the sake of peace of mind when traveling with kids. Because if you have to you know? cancel it, if someone gets sick yeah. beforehand, you yeah. want to be able to say, "We're going to postpone this trip. We're devastated." Yeah. But that twenty thousand dollar trip that was our family reunion, if grandma or a little kid gets sick, you want to be able to say, "You know what." Peace out. Let's postpone it. And yeah. a lot of places, I'm sure Travel Guard does this, Alliance does this. You can do it on a trip by trip basis. You tell them the dates that you're traveling. You tell them the size of your family. You tell them the cost of your trip. You know where you're going, and they'll quote you a policy based on that. That's just for those dates of when course. you're abroad. A lot of airlines have started to when you buy your tickets, and the Alliance I think has united with a bunch of mm. the airlines that they will offer you a policy 
in sort of the closing stages of buying your airline tickets. Um, and it's based on their knowledge of the route that you're taking and where you're going and all of that. So you can just, it makes, it's, it's convenient. It's going to be a little more expensive to do it that yeah. way. But the convenience is really nice. You just fold it into the price of the ticket. Totally. And it's I've usually. never done a, it. Never had travel insurance? Never once. Have you been, has your, the insurance that you had cover you abroad? don't know. See, you should sick on the way back. Another advantage. No, no, but another advantage of getting sick on the way home is that get me to New York. Get me to New York. You're already on the plane. But like, what you you know, you never know. You could get hit by a motorcycle in Indonesia. God forbid. But like, it can happen, and that's like what's really. You don't want to, you know, get to a hospital and then be like, we can't take you. Yeah. So can we go back just before we break here? The things that you guys have talked about carrying along: wide spectrum antibiotic. Yep, an antidiuretic. An antibiotic that specifically treats any stomach problems. Charcoal capsules. And what do those do? They are sort of like hippie medicine, but sort of not. Activated charcoal They're, isn't hippie. It's actually effective. So Mark does not do hippie things. Yeah, no. you don't Activated do, charcoal is just natural stomach settling. because it's like it, Pepto, sort of? It, yes, it interacts with the... it like sort of absorbs the... bacteria mm. from the food that you're eating. So if you're ever like a bit on the edge, it helps. What's the science, people? Anyone listening, tell us, because I know it's not mumbo-jumbo. It's not mumbo-jumbo, but it sort of seems like it might be, and it's sort of, it's sort of rolled into like the juice like worlds it's not like echinacea you know <laughs> where it's like you have like lemonade with charcoal yeah i don't know but okay. that pepto-bismol okay uh probiotics if you're in a malaria zone just take it just take the daily and it's if you get if it makes you nauseous chew ginger gum or something or like ginger chews okay wait what do else? you take all of these if I'm in a place where that might I'm be I'm picturing a Andrea's carry-on. Yeah. It's like everyone else has books I mean, and stuff, and then she just opens up, and there's just an entire <laughs> pharmacy. A pharmacy. I mean, I'm not taking it to, like, Italy in two weeks. If I'm going to India or if I'm going to Africa, like, yeah. Just if you're on a plane and you feel ill, just ask them to page and say, Andrea Whittle, is she on board? <laughs> and if she is... I'll just open up my DOP kit. <laughs> so other things, insurance we've talked about. Research into the area that you're see going. See your doctor before you travel. See your doctor before you unsure. go. Yeah. See Andrea's infectious disease doctor mm-hmm. before you go. See my dop kit. See her dop kit. <laughs> Andrea's tweet Andrea. Like, just, just like tweet at her. Just call it's me. Like, just call her. <laughs> yeah, it's like the TSA tweeting thing. She'll just ask Andrea. She'll tell you. Any other major things people need to do? Research the CDC. Look both mm-hmm. ways when you cross the street. Yeah, that's particularly also, true in but, England. But, I love the little markings look, on the... I would like to leave everyone with the idea that, you know, you can get sick abroad, but I don't think we're trying to leave people with the fear. I mean, Serbs had some very intense experiences, which can happen, and it's great to be prepared for them. I look back on that trip to Malawi as, like, one of the greatest trips of my life. Yeah, I think it's really important. You can get sick, and it's miserable to be sick abroad, and some horrible things can happen. But hopefully we've given some ways to anticipate it and some mistakes we've made that you don't have to make because we made them for you. (laughs) Yeah, and it's important to know that it happens, you know? Shit happens, literally. Um, <laughs> and it's and not like, going to stop you traveling, nor should it. it shouldn't yeah, stop it you traveling. Should. Like, it's, you know, it's... No, just prepare. Just, just yeah. Prepare. All Take these it in stride things. when it hits, you yeah. know. Just like you do at home. Yeah, you gotta exactly. Do okay. Thanks, you guys. And thanks, everyone listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. You can visit us, of course, at cntraveler.com. And you uh, can also find us at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook, on YouTube. We are at CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. And please do, uh, as Mark said, tweet at us. Anything that we've got wrong on this episode, we'd love to hear about it. Anything you can tease out, like why does charcoal work? Um, Is it magic? 
Uh, we would love to know about that. Is it alchemy? Actually, is it, if you're a medical does it only work if you're stoned <laughs> and, and from But help aspirin. us because we are amateurs on this and yes, we'd love to, if course. there are doctors or infectious diseases or nurses, anyone out there who can help us be more exact, that would be super helpful. Tweet at me to tell me how stupid I was not to know that I was about to get schistosomiasis when I jumped into that lake. I still <laughs> want to know what organ they were eating, but we'll, we'll save that for another podcast. And review us on iTunes. I've been enjoying the feedback on iTunes lately. It's been really interesting and great. And then, uh, Mark, how can people get in touch with you directly? You, you can get in touch with me, as people have, and I love it, on Twitter at Mark J. Elwood, and Elwood is with two L's. I'm at Seb Modak, S-E-B-M-O-D-A-K, on all the things. And I'm a whittle bit. That's a W H I T T L E bit. I'm so jealous of challenging <laughs> Meredith for the best handle. I'm so jealous of people who have witty handles <laughs> like this. Yes, it's great. It's great. <laughs> I'm at Bradrick. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>